Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. I am full of glee because I'm going to be talking today with you about tall tales. Tall tales are just so fun. What makes them so fun? Perhaps this is because tall tales play with the truth. Now, I'm not a relativist, but I think the truth can be delighted in. I think you can have fun with the truth, and I think tall tales actually facilitate a wonderful encounter with the truth. I'll tell you more what I mean. First, though, I want to talk about how fairy tales and tall tales are distinct from each other. Just for reference, I did a podcast, episode nine, Why Fairy Tales, if you want to hear more about my thoughts on fairy tales and why they're worth reading. But right now, I wanted to distinguish fairy tales from tall tales for you. So I think fairy tales happen in a fantasy world, in fantasy time, and with special rules and frameworks. So don't look behind you or obey what your mother told you and don't leave the path on your way to grandma's house. And the framework of fairy tales also includes magic. And there's stories of chiaroscuro, stories of light and dark, of goodness and evil. There's stories remarkably about interdependence, where evil has to be overcome with the help of another. Together we overcome an enchantment. It wouldn't be surprising to me if you feel a small bit of heaviness when you think about fairy tales. That's how they are. And children love them. Children also love tall tales, which I would describe as a particular kind of hero story. It's a story that happens in our world or our very recent world. And perhaps I'm totally uninformed in this, but I'm quite sure that the tall tale is a particularly American genre. And it happens in a believable way, clearing the land, dealing with varmints, only it has these oversized elements, these blatant exaggerations that are told as if they're just normal and factual, which is where the humor comes in. When you think of a tall tale, think tall tale equals straight-faced hyperbole. Maybe you have an uncle or a great uncle that tells stories like this, or a college buddy that jokes like this. So tall tales differ from fairy tales in that there is usually no failure to overcome, but a cheerful progression from strength to strength, feet to feet, until the hero disappears in glory from our sight. And it's worthwhile to point out also that it differs from fairy tales and that the hero of tall tales acts largely independently. They lead the way. They organize. They lead by their strength and their power and their extraordinary abilities. They're out in front. They act independently. And that's valued and honored, this independent action. The hero solves the problem, encounters the feat and triumphs in acting independently, not typically through collaboration. Now, one of my friends, one of the funniest people I know, her name is Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Criticized me for not having any funny books in the board books. And as usual, it got me thinking, funny, what makes something funny? So I've always heard that funny is caused by disparity. 
So you see the the difference between what actually happens versus what you expected to happen. And that's funny. So slapstick, for example, is funny because we expect the person to walk along the street, but all of a sudden they slip on the banana peel. Puns are funny because two words that sound the same are being forced to mean the same thing in a new way. And that's funny, at least to some people. I think my mother doesn't like puns. So I would argue also that a sense of hope is really necessary to a sense of humor. I won't go into that argument now, but I think it's a fun idea to play around with on your own, that hope is necessary for humor. What kind of a horizon do you need to be able to laugh? And then the other thing that I think is really key to finding something funny, you're not going to see disparity if you don't have a grounding in truth. If you don't have a grounding in reality, if things can be whatever you like, then there is no real disparity and things are going to be less funny, especially when it comes to tall tales, because tall tales are stories that are larger than life, tall talking, and you have to have a sense of what is real. You have to have a sense of reality if you're going to then have hyperbole, if you're going to have exaggeration. You have to have something creditable if you're then going to have your credulity stretched. My seven-year-old twins right now at this point in their life, they are really got a good grasp of reality and they are really mastering, well, they call seven the age of reason. They really have a grasp of things to a certain extent, a certain low level probably of mastery in reality. And they're at a point where they're really enjoying tall tales right now. They think they're really funny. I think because they can see here's reality and here is this inflated reality and they can recognize the disparity, therefore think it's funny. It also doesn't hurt that there's some body humor thrown in and some wrestling matches and some uh, wrestling matches too. We really enjoy the story of John Henry that's told by, in the way that it's told by Julius Lester and illustrated with the beauty and power of Jerry Pinckney. There's a version, there's an audiobook version that is just unbelievable. It's really my favorite. I can't read the book without hearing the voice of the narrator, Samuel L. Jackson, who just infuses the story with so much personality and humor. I love the way his voice interprets the unique phrases in the story. If you don't know the story of John Henry, just very briefly, it's a legend. It was first a song, an African-American folk song about a former slave who goes on to become just an enormously powerful and strong man who wields his um, nine-pound hammer and he trades it for a 12-pound hammer as he works on the railroad. Um, He's just a, a symbol of grit and strength, of hard work and determination. That's the little nugget about John Henry from the original song about him, the folk song about him. In the way Julius Lester tells the story, John Henry has gone on to become a true hero of the American tall tale. He's born in an extraordinary way and he amazes the moon and the stars. He grows up fast with great strength. He does really nice things for his parents, enters into a bet with a mean fella named Ferret-Faced Freddy that The upshot of the bet that John Henry wins is that ferret-faced Freddy now has to be nice and happy. At the end of the story, John Henry passes into glory because he he challenges 
a steam drill to a contest, which one can bore through the mountain first to lay to lay the rails for the train. John Henry makes this bet because he's staking his himself on the value of all of the people rather than the machines that work for the railroad, the people who have dedicated themselves and their lives and their bodies and their everything to laying rail. So John Henry sides with humans. He sides with human dignity. He sides with grit and determination and hard work and dignity. So he wins in the end. He beats the steam drill. And yet he passes into glory because his magnificent heart bursts. It's one of the only tall tales I can think of where the protagonist dies. It's somehow, it's not particularly a sad tall tale in that John Henry does something marvelous. And in a sense, he still wins. Um, he still wins even though he passes on. He becomes a legend and therefore he still lives. Another tall tale that's worth finding is a story called Swamp Angel by Anne Isaacs, illustrated by Paul O. Zielinski. And the audiobook version is full of outstanding personality and vivacity, and it's narrated by Melba Sibrel. She really makes Swamp Angel come alive. What's special about this book is that this story is totally an original creation, totally invented the character of Swamp Angel. She doesn't have any basis in any historical figure. The opening page of Swamp Angel reads, On August 1st, 1815, when Angelica Longrider took her first gulp of air on this earth, there was nothing about the baby to suggest that she would become the greatest woodswoman in Tennessee. The newborn was scarcely taller than her mother and couldn't climb a tree without help. The author brings this kind of understated uh, cleverness, irony, along with all the marvelous exaggeration that tall tales have. The illustrator, Paul Zielinski, does a marvelous job making the illustrations look like they're primitive early American paintings, perhaps from the early 1800s, 1840s. At those times, itinerant painters would go around and draw a mural or draw a flower border or paint your portrait. The artwork in this book looks something similar to that. What's interesting is he kind of plays with proportion and you're a little bit unsure at first whether it's the size of the girl, the hero, or or whether it's a proportion problem with the the artist's skill, right? But of course, it's the size of the heroine, Swamp Angel, and the huge bear that she fights in the story is called Thundering Tarnation. There's something so comical about the very lovely illustrations that show this Tennessee woods woman rather sweetly dressed, barefooted, and wearing a poke bonnet, rescuing settlers, wrestling a bear, and snoring down a forest. Swamp Angel is one of those stories that we've checked out of the library again and again. And when we first did this, we were listening to the audiobook. And so, of course, to this day, whenever I read Swamp Angel, I have to channel Melba Sibrel's Infectious Inflection. It's a super jolly book. And big surprise to myself, I'm holding another book on my lap called Meanwhile, Back at the Ranch, and I hadn't even noticed that the author is the same as Swamp Angel, same author, Anne Isaacs. And this book is a total hoot. It's illustrated by Kevin Hawks. In this story, a proper English lady named Tulip Jones inherits a whopping $35 million and a fine ranch in a place called By Golly Gully, Texas. Being the very High-quality gal she is with a lot of land and $35 million. She is pursued by every bachelor in Texas, which is, as the story jokes, every man in Texas. 
and the illustrations show us that they're a bit of a husky, musky, seedy lot. All but the fine man, Charlie Doughpuncher, who is her cook. What's delightful about this tale is how the widow outsmarts all these bachelors who are pursuing her and how the servants that have come with her from England help the widow Jones to outsmart these fellows. What's also really impressive to me is that Anne Isaacs has come up with another original tall tale that is really in the fine tradition of tall tales. This is impressive to me because back in third grade, I tried to write a tall tale and I felt like I failed miserably. So I think tall tales are harder to come by and harder to to make interesting and not clumsy or cheesy, but but clever and, and um, the right mix of believable and unbelievable. This was a story that had my three youngest squirming and laughing out loud. In fact, they've even adopted, especially my son, this word that's used in the story by one of the bad guys. It's the only word this bad guy ever says. He's the sidekick for the super bad guy. He says, reprocious. Sometimes it's uttered in victory, and sometimes this word's uttered in defeat in this story. And so it's a great word. It's an all-purpose word that my twins have now been using. As far as I can tell, I looked it up, and it doesn't mean anything, but it sure is fun to say. Now, one of my all-time favorite tellings of Paul Bunyan is done by Stephen Kellogg. I admit it would be easy for me to say that his illustrations are over-decorated and possibly over-busy, but I just love the the clever way he um, stages his illustrations to uh, support the understated text telling. So the text is very understated, but the illustrations are wonderfully overstated. For example, though the text says, Paul Bunyan was the largest, smartest, and strongest baby ever born in the state of Maine. That's a somewhat simple claim, but the illustration has the baby Paul in his diaper holding the cow above his head. The cow has a great big smile on her face. And Paul is milking the cow as the cats underneath Paul are squirming and licking up milk with delight. On the facing page, it says, even before he learned to talk, Paul showed an interest in the family logging business. He took the lumber wagon and wandered through the neighborhood collecting trees. And the picture shows that he is tearing up trees by their roots and throwing them in the back of his father's lumber wagon. We hear about how Paul becomes acquainted with Babe the Blue Ox, how he routes a band of gumbaroos. We hear how he builds a colossal flapjack griddle, how he digs the Great Lakes, and somewhat accidentally gouges a jagged trench, now known as the Grand Canyon. Classic. Paul is always the cheerful and provident leader of his lumberjack crew. He's the strong problem solver. And Stephen Kellogg seems to have had a pretty fun time retelling this tale. All right, next I want to tell you about how I just discovered a new tall tale. I wonder if you have already heard of it. It's called The Wicked Big Toddler by Kevin Hawks. Remember, he's the one that did the illustrations for Meanwhile Back at the Ranch that I told you about. My children pointed out to me, I think it was my 10-year-old, pointed out to me that The Wicked Big Toddler could be Paul Bunyan as a baby. It never says so explicitly in the text, but the illustrations lend them to that interpretation. The pictures all involve activities from northern Maine, where Paul Bunyan is rumored to have grown up. They involve boats and lumber and logging, moose. What makes this book particularly clever is how understated all the text is and how hilarious the illustrations are in contrast. 
Kevin Hawks did an amazing job juxtaposing credible and impossible reality and hyperbole. So the opening page says, when my brothers and I went to visit him in the hospital, he reached right out and grabbed hold of my finger. Of course, we would all expect some little baby to be holding his big sister's first finger. But in this case, there's a gigantic chubby hand holding the girl by her wrist, holding her up off her feet. (laughs) Such a well-done tale. What's especially funny for mothers and fathers reading this book is that there's kind of a double irony because all toddlers seem to behave like the wicked big toddler and wreak huge amounts of havoc as this giant toddler does. You'll probably find the scenes where they're getting the wicked big toddler to go to sleep and when they're changing his diaper to be quite cathartic. Your kids will think the scenes are funny, but you will secretly think to yourself, yes, yes, that's exactly what it's like to have a toddler. Finally, someone understands. (laughs) Sometimes we need hyperbole to zero in on reality, don't we? So I've shared with you some of my favorite tall tales. I also want to encourage you to find maybe a few versions of Paul Bunyan and compare them. See what differences your children can find between the different versions. There's some really nice versions of John Henry out there too. I know if you're interested in an audio version, there's actually one on YouTube that has music by B.B. King and is narrated by Denzel Washington. It's pretty awesome too. I mean, the animation is not that great, but the story is. I've also not featured any stories about Johnny Appleseed, but there are so many beautiful ones out there, so many well-written and well-illustrated versions of Johnny Appleseed. Also in the book list, I'm going to include a biography about Johnny Appleseed for mothers and fathers to read because um, it looks really good. I haven't read it, but maybe you can read it and tell me what you think. Now, the last story I want to tell you about is called The Rattlebang Picnic, authored by Margaret Mahi and illustrated by Stephen Kellogg. It is such a fun, goofy story, and I would argue that it's a kind of tall tale. It's a story about a family, the McTavish family. Rather than it being a tall tale about an individual, in this case, it's a family that takes on the role of the hero. But as a good tall tale does, it mixes reality and hyperbole so well that I think it really kind of belongs in the tall tale genre. The story opens when Mr. and Mrs. McTavish first get married and they ride off into the sunset on their bicycle and they're trying to decide whether they should buy a big, fast, fancy car or whether they should have a big family. They have decided in a prudent way that they can afford both a super fancy car and a lot of kids. And so they decide to have a smallish family, which they consider to be seven children, and an old rattlebang car. Of course, the book communicates because of this that people are more important than possessions, but along the way, it is full of glee. So the McTavish family likes to go on adventures in their old rattlebang, and they're always bringing along their Granny McTavish, who's a spirited thing. Illustrations are full of good cheer and lost car parts. Their wild adventures in their old rattlebang involve sharks and a volcano and Granny McTavish's legendary overcooked pizzas. In the end, wonderfully, it's the children who are the heroes to the family. Their bright ideas and quick action really save the day. 
This is one story where I don't want to give away the ending. It's just so fun. So that's The Rattlebang Picnic by Margaret Mahi. I'm sorry to say you wouldn't be able to find it at my bookshop listing, my Brightwings bookshop listing. If you wanted to purchase it, you'd be able to find Swamp Angel on that list, my bookshop listing, and the Paul Bunyan that I told you about, The Wicked Big Toddler, and the John Henry book that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. In order to find The Rattlebang Picnic, it looks like you would need to find it at thriftbooks.com, along with Meanwhile, Back at the Ranch. That would also be available at Thrift Books. And of course, there's always Amazon. I just became an Amazon affiliate so that I can give you access to these a little bit harder to find stories. I set up my whole bookshop.org platform in order to try to work around Amazon, but I've just had to knuckle under um, because bookshop.org just doesn't have everything. And I want to give you everything. I'm still going to be trying to use Bookshop primarily, but for everything else, there's Amazon, right? All right. So let's get back to the good stuff. Why are tall tales so fun? Tall tales are delightful because they help us zero in on the fact that the world is marvelous. People are extraordinary. We are surrounded by greatness. Perhaps when John Henry affirms with all his might, humid dignity in the face of the machine, and his great heart bursts, perhaps we can see that the hyperbole of tall tales is a metaphor. Tall tales help us to see that the possibility for greatness lives large within us. This is not hyperbole, but sometimes we need hyperbole to see it. Sometimes we forget that facts can never exist with all also having a meaning, and that the meaning of what is is so deep it can never be plumbed entirely. The meaning of reality is so deep it can never be exhausted. There's always a depth to it. So mysteriously, tall talking, stories of hyperbole, stories of tall tales help us zero in on the fact that this world is larger than life. There is a grand song by one of my favorite family bands called the Okie Dokie Brothers, and it's called The Legend of Tall Talkin' Sam. And I won't sing it for you, but I'll include a link in the show notes so you can listen to it. When the Okie Dokie Brothers sing us the song, The Legend of Tall Talking Sam, they tell us the story about this gal named Sam, Samantha Rosiana, who's born just like any tall tale hero in an extraordinary way, and she does extraordinary feats of bravery and strength. And in the last stanza, she sings us the truth, the truth about reality and its mysterious depth. She tells us exactly how hyperbole can help us arrive at the truth. She says, but there's one thing for certain, and I'm sure you'll think it's so. There's too much in this old world even a girl like me don't know, like how some little stream carved out one big old canyon or how a fire's angry flame can be your best companion. Why looking up at the stars will always make you feel small. And why just telling the truth ain't telling the whole story at all. That's why we're always tall talking, loud squawking. Gotta tell it tall to tell it right. So if you've got a tale to tell, talk it tall and tell it well. Because this world is larger than life. Life. 